Y'all, I'm Kiara Sheree. And I'm Ray. And welcome to Yes Black Girl. Hey, y'all. Right. So, how was your Thanksgiving, Raya? Uh, it was very relaxing, kind of. I mean, I was kind of annoyed the whole day. Um, <laughs> for womanly reasons. And uh, the food was really good. I made mac and cheese. And what else? Of course. Uh, we made a lot of stuff. We made Thanksgiving food. Right. Blank right now. Um, but yeah, how are you? Um, I'm good. I also had a really good Thanksgiving. I feel like we were all super full. We were also full that we could barely like even interact and do the games and everything that we were supposed to be playing. But it was just full of joy, you know, kids running around and everybody catching up, and that was really, really nice. So I'm just really happy to be home and visiting with everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was nice to see family. And we watched King Richard. So that was good. That was such a good film. Did you cry? Did I? No. I think I almost cried a few times, but I did get teared up like once. But that movie had me. It was just an incredible film. Yeah, it was emotional. I don't normally cry in movies. Oh, okay. I'm I'm a crier. You know, I I stay crying. (laughs) All right. So Let's go ahead and get into our guests for today. We've had so many incredible guests um, grace us on this platform, and we're extremely thankful for that. Um, and today, that is going to be continued. So let's let's get into this this bio because I don't think they they really know <laughs> what's going on today. Okay. This is bio. <laughs> Listen. All right. So Wendy L. Wilson is an award-winning journalist and content creator with 20 years of professional editorial experience. And she is currently the executive editor at BT.com. Wendy is the former managing editor at thegrio.com and the former managing editor at both Ebony and Jet magazines and the former news editor at essence.com and essence magazine. This makes Wendy the only journalist to date who has worked on staff at the three of the most prestigious African-American national media outlets in the country. Y'all, y'all heard that? Okay. <laughs> Listen, while at Essence, Wendy also oversaw the news section, which included the inception of Essence's first Washington, D.C. correspondent and developing a relationship with the White House Press Corps as well as the editorial internship program where she hired, trained, and mentored several young journalists who are now thriving in the industry. Throughout her career, Wendy has reported and produced several high-profile interviews with politicians, heads of state, and celebrities, including former president of Liberia, Ellen Johnson Sirleaf, former first lady, (laughs) excuse me, of the United States, Michelle Obama, and media icon, Oprah Winfrey. And yet, the stories that she feels are the most poignant are, the, are those that involve ordinary people overcoming extraordinary circumstances. Wendy is a graduate of New York University, 
where she received a master's degree in journalism and a graduate of Skidmore College, where she received a bachelor's degree in English. She is the former chair of diversity and inclusion for Skidmore's alumni board. And in 2018, becoming, became an adjunct professor at the Newhouse School of Communications at Syracuse University, teaching a course on race and gender in the media. Wendy has freelanced for various outlets, including the NAACP's The Crisis Magazine, Family Circle, Scholastic, Essence, WebMD.com, Push Black, and Brass City Media. So without further ado, let's welcome Wendy L. Wilson. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate the the very, very um um, elaborate. Listen, I feel like every single part of that needed to be known. We are Thank incredibly you. happy to have you on today. Thank you for coming on. And in your entire resume is just outstanding. So Thank you. it had to, we had to let people know who you are, <laughs> what you've done in this world. Okay. You know, it's, it's weird to hear it because when you're in it and you're in the thick of things, it's your job. <laughs> you're just yes. doing your job. So you know, it's kind of uh, weird to hear it back, but thank you very much. I appreciate the reception and I'm so, so very happy to be here today with you all. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Yes. Thank you. Okay, so we're gonna get into some this or that questions and I'll go ahead and start it off. So the first one is print journalism or digital journalism? Oh, wow. You starting out with the hard ones already. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, I would say digital journalism, and since that's the area that I'm currently um, in, although there are times, I was just talking to a friend of mine last week, where um, I saw the recent covers of Essence, and mm -hmm. they're so gorgeous. Yes. And I just was like, oh, you know, I miss the, the process of being able to labor over a piece of love like that. You know, sometimes mm -hmm. I do miss the actual... Um, the actual work that it takes to, people really do not know how hard it is to put a magazine out every month. And so um, just everything from the photography to the cover lines, to the ideation around the, uh, the, the stories that we, you know, people feel that are really gonna impact the reader. Uh, so I do miss that sometimes, but there is a certain immediate gratification that one gets with digital journalism. Absolutely, mm -hmm. I feel that. It's funny you say that because I have like this oh, this uh, magazine cover that I made. In my, I I peeped that. <laughs> in my, I peeped that. My what's it called? My design. Is it mood. Yes, my design class in. Uh, oh, okay. And it took so long to do the cover. Yes. Mm, it's yes. so many, like specificities that people go over just for the cover. So mm, I, the cover. The cover is your front door, right? And and yes. and even if your house is messy, you gotta let your front door look really good to invite to people, people in, in. Yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So so the front door is everything. The cover is everything, and it's a labor of love for any publication. Um, you know, it doesn't matter what the publication is. The cover is always a labor of love. Mm. Mm -hmm. Even like with the font, it was it had to be very font specific. placement <laughs> of the words. You know, mm -hmm. repetition of words. The specific specific specificity of the words, um, you know, the color palette, uh, the, the design of the, you know, the subject matter. Do you want to do something that's 
full face back, you know, kind of a stretched back? Do you want background of the, it's just, it's a lot, <laughs> it's a lot, but, um, but it takes a team, you know, mm -hmm. and usually people, people get it right. So. Yes, they do. Mm -hmm. They definitely do. So, <laughs> yeah. so the next one is Ebony Magazine or Essence Magazine. Oh goodness. Oh goodness. <laughs> you better get me in trouble with this. <laughs> um, wow. You know, I, I can't choose between the two. I would say that both had um, you know, amazing experiences and mm -hmm. taught me a lot while I was at both publications. Um I you know, Essence is, of course, the venerable, you know, outlet for Black women, um, staple in so many, so many of our lives, not just yes. households, but lives, yes. right? It, it, it became a, we used to call it the Black Women's Bible. You know, mm -hmm. it really was that important um, and is that important for many uh, in the community. And Ebony is the that is sort of, Ebony started out as, as the Life Magazine for our community. When, when Life Magazine wasn't, back in the, in the 50s, wasn't speaking to us, wasn't incorporating our stories. Mr. Johnson started that publication as, the, as a way for us to see each other and, yes. and celebrate the things that we knew were important mm -hmm. to the community, important to us. Um, so both of them were celebrations of Black life, Black culture, Black diaspora. Um, I could never choose. Choose sorry. between the two. I feel the same way. Yeah. I wanted to see yeah. what you were going to yeah. say. But yeah. I yeah. Say. yeah. <laughs> Incredible. All right. So the 80s or the 90s? Oh, gosh. 80s or 90s. Um, I'm going to say 90s because I was still a kid in the 80s. Um, <laughs> so 90s is when I went to college and, you know, had, in my opinion, I'm going to say it, I'll go on the record as saying it, the best time of music ever. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> 90s hip-hop and R&B is still being played very widely today, which says something. Um, mm -hmm. But I think that for me, my college experience was one that was really uh, pivotal. Um, yes. it, it was a time where of discovery, what college should be, time of discovery, a time of, um, you know, lifelong, making lifelong friends, um, a time of finding oneself. Um, I, I didn't have the luxury to go past my four years. I had to do what I had to do in four years because I was on that financial aid. So, <laughs> so keeping it real, um, didn't yes. have any help there, had to mm -hmm. take my loans and and work my, my way to, to make that happen. Um, very proudly saying that. Um, and, you know, it, I took college very seriously. I was one of those kids that got into college and knew what I wanted to do. Um, Skidmore at the time did not have a journalism program, but I knew I wanted to be at Skidmore. So I had to figure out how to make this, um, this thing called journalism that I thought I knew what it was how to make it work for me at a place that I wasn't necessarily maybe getting that instruction. Mm. Uh, so I did a bunch of internships. I uh, worked at the student um, writing lab. I ended up doing some newsletters on campus. I found ways to develop my craft, mm -hmm. even if it wasn't in the, in the classroom. That's so, nice. you know, I think that it, ultimately Skidmore was, is always going to be a place where students have the ability to develop their skills in other ways, non-traditional ways, whether that be outside of the classroom or through 
um, international travel or um, working within the community, there are other opportunities that one can develop for oneself if one has the enterprising mindset to do so. I love these answers. <laughs> <laughs> and this is still this, this or that. That's wow. <laughs> well, I can relate. Um, so the next one, New York or Jamaica. Oh, wow. Um, geez, these are hard. <laughs> New York or Jamaica. Um, gosh, I don't think I can choose between those either. Um, let's see, born and bred in New York, born and bred in, in the Bronx specifically, um, but a first generation American. Um, my family came here um, in the 70s. My parents came here in the 70s. They met here in, in New York and, um, um, so I have no, I always tell people I have no roots in this country. Um, I don't have grandparents that came from here. I don't have uncles or aunts that came from here. Everybody came from Jamaica. Um, so my identity is a little bit um, confused, I guess. That's the best way to explain it. As a, a first generation of West Indian American, anybody who folds, into that little bucket will understand what I'm saying. Um, or even if you're, um, you know, African from an African nation or any other part of the Caribbean, you get it. Being black, being black from the Caribbean and being black from the Caribbean and female. Those are identifiers that have heavy weights on them, um, but typically, we are raised differently. We are we have different um, ideologies, um, somewhat conservative, usually Christian based. Th those type of things um, culturally, like Thanksgiving was yesterday. We don't really do Thanksgiving. It's not a thing mm. <laughs> in the Caribbean, right? We've yeah. adapted because we're here, but right. um, it's not really a big deal for for us. You know, we mm -hmm. there are other. I think Christmas is a bigger holiday because of the Christian component to it. So um, it's hard for me to choose because New York is my base. It's always going to be home. I've lived other places. I always come back here. There is a certain um, je ne sais quoi that New Yorkers yes. have, right? I love that um, phrase. That's my favorite phrase. It's, it's sort of hard to describe unless you're from here. You know, uh, it's it's just a certain thing. People have their ideas on what New Yorkers are like. It's usually wrong. Um, we're not as hardcore as people make us out to be, but you know, you put us to task and you get a little taste, mm -hmm. <laughs> that sort of thing. Um, and then the Caribbean, specifically Jamaica, um, that's the ancestors. The ancestors mm. are there. Every one of my ancestors are there. So um, it's hard for me to, it's impossible for me to choose. Um, you know, I speak, I, they, both of them speak to me so strongly. Mm. I definitely understand yeah. that. Mm -hmm. And I love what you were saying about the difference between a Thanksgiving and a Christmas. I have a friend whose mom is like obsessed. They're, they're Jamaican and she's obsessed yeah. with Christmas. That's like her yeah. favorite. Her tree is already up. She's yeah, singing the Christmas exactly. songs. Like and she has the wreath exactly. on the door. So I get that. But Thanksgiving yes. is like, yeah. You know, we got some food. It's, it's here. Food. It's here. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So since I actually missed uh, the last one, this last question is living single or sex in the city? 
Oh, living single. That's easy. <laughs> I didn't ever think about that one. <laughs> Love it. Love yeah, it, love I'm, it. I'm not. Yeah, living single. I don't even have to explain that one. <laughs> That's beautiful. I was sitting there thinking, I'm like, which one? Uh, I was trying to figure out what could go up against living single. And I didn't want to do friends. I chose living single in Sex and the City because, of course, Carrie being a journalist and we have Khadijah over here running an entire, you know, empire. Exactly. Like, I wonder exactly. which one. Yes. You know, what, what probably would have been hard, it would be a different world. Mm. A different world between yeah. that Tell and living single because, well, because watching a different world when I was growing up, um, I saw the dynamic of not only college life, but what really spoke to me, weirdly enough, and I'm one of those weird people that I, I like, I diverge a lot <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> on things that you think are straight line. I'm usually crooked <laughs> to the side, but um, Whitley being mm -hmm. a head resident in the dorm. I ended yes. up being president in the dorm, oh, um, wow. mainly because I saw it on television and I saw how she was this, she developed a communal atmosphere, mm. um, really allowing the people in, in her space to know that she was there for them, that she was a sounding board for them. Um, you know, And I ended up really kind of going through, I was an RA first and then became head resident of one of the dorms on campus. Um, it allowed me not only financially help, it was helpful, but mm -hmm. um, it really allowed me to develop my leadership skills, to be accountable for mm. other people because I yes. was in charge of all the other students in the dorm um, and to to really just have a sense of camaraderie um, mm -hmm. within within my, you know, my staff, my floors, um, making sure that people were safe, um, you know, kind of having that non-judgmental mindset when I remember dealing with a young lady who had overdosed, um, mm. you know, and trying to bring her to health services. I physically carried her to health services, um, yeah. you know, and just just being there for people who needed that help. I saw that first on A Different World. I've never heard anyone explain <laughs> that. Yes, that's never been like, it's always, you know, they encouraged me to go to an HBCU right, or, right, or to join right. Greek life. But that is yep. incredible. I love that. Yep. I love that. Not a lot, a lot of people talk about their RA because we're considered the narcs, right? The, the police of the... But at the same time, if you need help, we go home. Exactly. <laughs> there were we had some good RAs and some some weird ones. Yes, yeah, yes. <laughs> There's always a weird one. There's always yes. a weird one. But but, but at the yeah. end of the day, if you're in trouble, if you need something fixed, or that's who you're going who to. Who do you call? Mm -hmm. Well, you're all right. Yeah. Or if you just oh. need somebody to, to lean on, your mama's there you not go. there. It's like there you, you have your RAs, yeah. and sometimes the resident yeah. directors as well. If you got a good one. Yep. Yeah. Yep. 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 Okay, so we're gonna get into the actual interview now. Okay. So tell us, when did you know that you wanted to become a journalist? Huh. I would probably say sometime around maybe my senior year of high school. Mm -hmm. um, I knew that I was always one of those students who uh, in high school specifically, if the professor or the teacher said, um, you know, we ha you have a paper to write and the paper's five pages long, I would end up giving six or seven um, because writing was always very, a comfortable medium for me to communicate. Mm -hmm. I was never a, uh, you know, kind of loquacious child or um, talkative. I, I did a lot of my communicating through writing because I just found it easier 
Um, and I love words. I love um, the power of words. I love mm -hmm. that words can have um, the power to give you emotion, make you happy or make you sad or make you angry. Um, that is an incredible power that one can, can possess. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I also value um, what a journalist does, purveyor of information, um, you know, uh, communicator, um, someone who's the conduit, um, the link between one to the other. Um, yes. And so in, in that thinking, I, you know, my parents, as I said before, are immigrants to this country. I didn't have anybody in the industry that could help me get in. Um, mm -hmm. And I didn't know what a journalist really did other than what you saw on television for the six o'clock news. Right. Um, but I grew up watching the news with my parents. I grew up with my dad buying the newspaper every day. Um, mm -hmm. I grew up reading magazines all the time. Like for me, one of the Christmas gifts that I always asked for were subscriptions to magazines. Oh, wow. um, so I love just, you know, at the time there was a, a teen magazine called Sassy. Um, <laughs> the day. Uh, that was one of my favorites, but I also, you know, Write On and Word Up were the two sort of mm -hmm. black, you know, um, entertainment, entertainment magazines yes. that I would buy if I had money to buy them. Um, I was never really into the, like the 17s and whatnot because of course, not, not seeing myself in those right. publications, but yes. um, would always read Essence and, say, and literally say to myself, one day, yeah. one day, maybe. Same thing with Ebony. My aunt had a subscription to both Essence and Ebony. So every time I went over to her house, I was just devouring those mm. magazines. Um, and people would see that. And so my aunt got, got me a subscription to Reader's Digest. Um, and I would, again, just a, a kid who read a lot. And so I would read Reader's Digest and those short stories. Um, what one, when people don't often understand is when you read, you also learn the words, right? So yes. as I'm reading and I'm seeing words and I'm like, hmm, what does that mean? I look it up. And at, yeah. back then, no internet. So the dictionary. The dictionary. <laughs> um, and one of the things my parents, you know, amazing insight, can't believe the insight that they had, um, not having formal um, education themselves, formal higher education themselves, um, bought me uh, encyclopedias. Mm. And so I had a set of encyclopedias in the house. Uh, so anytime there was something that I was curious about or didn't know or didn't understand, I'd just look it up and had that at the ready. I, I didn't have to go to a library for it. Or I didn't have to, you know, it was like my own internet was in the house. Yes. Um, so having those things, I think, just developed my curiosity also. Um, very curious person, always asking the questions that I don't feel were always answered. So for instance, I grew up in high school watching Arsenio Hall all the time and seeing that interview format also mm -hmm. developed that interest because I would watch Arsenio and Arsenio ask these celebrity questions, but then I often felt like, well, I wanted to know this and I right. wanted to know that. And so, you know, didn't feel fulfilled always from that. Mm -hmm. So all of those things kind of came together and manifested into this, um, into this need and desire to do this job. That's awesome. Wow. Come on, origin story. <laughs> I love that. I definitely had uh, some similar things going on in my childhood. A lot of mm -hmm. a lot of books were around, a huge bookshelf. Mm -hmm. My mom always made sure that I had books. And my grandma always made sure that I had a diary. That was like exactly. her thing. She was like, write down whatever you're feeling, 
always journal everything. And I think yeah. it's super important for you to, in, for people to introduce that into, you know, mm -hmm. children's lives. You gotta have that, that component. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in my school, um, my elementary school, we had dare time. So it was drop everything and read for oh, I remember that. 20, 20 or 30 minutes. And nice. yeah. that's excellent. A lot. Yep, yeah. It's super important. I feel like I don't know if there's the same way now with uh with the kids in elementary school, but I know they pushed it super hard when we were younger to make sure that everyone was reading and and really taking things in that. And like you said, it does. It creates your um it makes your creativity a lot stronger and it strengthens Absolutely. your imagination. Absolutely. In ways that you know, looking at things online, it's not the same. It just doesn't it work because the they're isn't. showing you things versus you being able to come up with your own ideas. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. I definitely appreciate being a, a 90s kid for that reason. Yeah. There's something about, you know, my I have a seven-year-old niece and we take her to the library and she has that feeling and that anticipation of going there and being able mm. to get something new and going through the racks and feeling she we've done that with her since she was very, very little. That is an experience that I think that every kid should have the luxury of having, unfortunately, that every child does. Yeah. But um, it's important, I think, to get your kid a library card. It's important mm -hmm. to take time to have reading time with your kid, develop their reading skills. So many of our black and brown children are below these levels yes. because they don't have, in my opinion, the parental um, mm -hmm. um, support needed, right? So right. got it, parents got to work, parents are single, parents are doing everything that they can do. Totally yeah. understand. However, your teacher's child is not the parent. That's right. So once the classroom is done, then your job starts again. Mm -hmm. And part of that is really encouraging these creative dynamics, whether yes. that be through tactile learning, clay making, drawing, reading, singing, anything Sing. musical, you know, develop those creative skills um, yes. and also develop the mechanical skills in the mind. Because mm -hmm. I always say it's one thing to have your kid play the video games. It's another thing to have your kid develop the video game. Mm. Yes. That's... Our kids aren't doing that. They're playing them a lot. Yes. They're not developing them. Other kids are doing that. I don't know if you guys saw it recently. There was, um, I think it was like on TikTok or something. There was a kid who got in trouble in school because he had hacked into the school system. Yeah. But mm. yeah, but a part of his punishment was creating his own video game. And go. I thought that was incredible. And he was what? He's like an elementary amazing. school age child yeah. and yeah. a little black boy. And I was like, this is what I love to see. This is yeah. exactly it. Like that's, it that's positively. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yep. But didn't they call the SWAT team or something? Oh Lord, they did. They did. Yeah. We not even. Yeah, we not even yeah. That because <laughs> thankfully, you know, the right people were thankfully, there. So that yeah, it and it worked out. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. But that was ridiculous <laughs> for a baby. <laughs> All right, let's keep it moving. So you've had the privilege of working at some of the most prestigious Black-owned media companies. What was it like working in those environments? And did you feel support? Uh, you know, it was, um, I would say that it was different at all three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine publications <laughs> I've worked at. Um, it's been different everywhere. I think, you know, I, I sort of got my bulk of my experience at Essence because I was there for so long. I think at least I was there maybe 12, 13 years. 
Um, so I would say that that experience sort of leans more into um, what I count as as maybe pinnacle points in my mm -hmm. career. Um, you know, being there at a time when the country had its first black president uh, and developing our um, White House connection and and being able to go to both the uh, not only the Democratic National Convention, but the Republican National Convention um, and covering both of those at a time in the country before we experienced this past Shift. president. Yes. Name yes. shall not be mentioned. Um, yes. You know, it was it was really amazing. It was really mm -hmm. amazing. I've been to the White House a few times under President Obama and um, every time was a pleasure. It was a joy. It was a wonderful experience. Um, and so also being able to report on, you know, one of the things I will say, um, last year with the pandemic was, was pretty hard for a lot of black journalists, myself included, um, mm -hmm. because not the, the pandemic itself, but um, I think the George Floyd situation really did send a lot of us um, over the edge in ways. And it's for me, it was a different reason. And I think for a lot of black journalists who cover news, it was a different reason. Um, mm. The reason being that um, seeing the country uh, um, explode the way it did in the reaction to the George Floyd video was um, confusing, right? Mm. At least for me. Why? Because we have seen this over and over and over again. And when I heard of George Floyd, I was like, okay, all right, so what's this guy's name? It was right. another It was another case, exactly. right? But I have been seeing these cases. I've been reporting on, I've been telling people, I've been reporting on black death by the hands of law enforcement for 15 years. Mm -hmm. Sean Bell was the first person that I reported on whose, whose death happened in New York as a result mm -hmm. of the NYPD. So yeah. this was just another, to me right and so right. to see all of a sudden everybody was like oh no we're fighting for george well, why didn't you fight for tamir why didn't you fight for sean why didn't you fight for sandra why didn't you like the list right. go felonious like what, what yes why all this of a sudden is the this? thing that has everyone this is the, this is the thing that has everybody because there were mm -hmm. video it was video yeah. back with other cases they're all so on social media why was this the thing to get allies all of a sudden um, so into their feelings where you had all of a sudden companies are shutting down for Juneteenth and putting up black mm -hmm. squares online and, mm -hmm. and, and isn't that amazing? Yes. But this isn't new for us. This isn't new for us. Right. Um, and so, you know, when I think about my career overall, I think about the number of moms I've had to interview who lost their children and the number of, of wives who have lost husbands and the number of daughters who have lost fathers and so on and so forth. And it has become hard on my soul. That's the only way I can say it. It's become hard on my soul um, because you're telling these stories and you want these stories to be different and poignant and important, but yet there's the same thread line over yep. and over and over again. And yes. so I think for me last year was quite difficult in that regard because um, it actually started with um, the case in Dallas uh, uh, with the young man who died in his home uh, as a result mm -hmm. of the, the police officer who entered the wrong apartment. Yes. Um, 
And so that was, that was a hard one because he was doing nothing but sitting in his home eating ice cream. Mm, that could literally. Right? And you can't be more innocent than that. Yes. You cannot be more innocent than that. And so, um, you know, it just became, I think, overwhelming for a lot of us. And yet we are the ones to tell these stories because if we don't tell them from an authentic point of view, then no one really truly understands, right? That's you don't right. understand the pain of being, of talking to the loved ones who, who lost their children. You don't understand that pain until it's told through someone who can understand that pain um, when the loss is so egregious particularly. So it's, it's hard to say, I did this type of reporting at Essence. I started it there, I continued it. I mean, Michael, Mike Brown was when I was at uh, Ebony um, when Ferguson happened and all of that you know, fell apart and um, we did reporting there, um, um, you know, came to BET and, and here you know, I thought we'll just be doing election coverage and, Brianna and Taylor know, being, happens. Brianna Taylor happened, George Floyd happened, it just, Ahmaud Arbery happened. And yes. so we continue to tell these stories because we have to, yes. because if we don't, again, they get lost in the shuffle. They are not told authentically. Um, mm -hmm. You don't understand the pain. You don't understand the triumph as was the case a couple of days ago with the Armand Arbery decision in that murder trial. Mm -hmm. um, these are things that have to be told through black media in yes. order for people to truly understand um, the modicum of, like I said, emotion that comes mm -hmm. through that. Um, yes, someone who is of color at a mainstream publication can say it, can can interpret these feelings, but the consistency is mm -hmm. not always there. We're going to stay with the story from beginning to end, yes. you know, um, and we're going to ensure that uh, our audience, our community, is fully aware of all gamuts of the, the, the type of stories that um, I think people just really want to know. Yes, I agree 100%. Um, it's, it's funny because when I was on my way home uh, the other day coming to Maryland, I had an Uber driver who was asking me, um, he was saying he couldn't understand, this was an, an older black gentleman, he couldn't understand why the family was celebrating mm -hmm. uh, the, the verdicts. And I was just like, what do you, like I, I I felt like he was coming from like a Christian standpoint of, you know, you're supposed to forgive and all of that. But I'm like, yeah. if you had a son <laughs> who was, you know, killed, he wasn't doing anything wrong. You know, how would you feel if his killers were being put behind bars? Absolutely. Like, of course, you know, the family is going to celebrate. Um, but and you're absolutely right. Than that, right. Like at, at times, you know, no one truly, unless you're the part of the family, you really don't truly understand. Right. But I think you look at these things and you have to think to yourself, vindication for all the ones that didn't get their vindication. Yes. yes. Right. So because when I saw so the verdict on, you know, last week, I'm thinking to myself also, um, you know, just all the other young men who died so mercilessly and just, mm. you know, horribly. Um, Emmett Till comes to mind. Oh. Um, of just, you know, all white jury got off, all those men uh, eventually admitted an Emmett Till. Just to tell the story later, right. Oh, just to tell the story later and got off scot-free. Well, not, not anymore. 
Right. That's the thing. Thank Not as <laughs> this prevails, right? And mm-hmm. so um, I think that the family was feeling not only the weight of Ahmad, but the weight of the other victims mm-hmm. yes. who didn't have justice. Absolutely, I agree with that. Mm. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm just, no, I, know, <laughs> I always I get emotional. I know, it's yeah. tough, it's tough it stuff. Is. You know? It and really is. I think for me, um, you know, the last person, um, the last mother, I spoke to, I interviewed was Brianna Taylor's mom. And it's hard. It's hard to, because one of the first questions I always ask is, tell me about Brianna or tell me about your daughter. What's something that you miss? What's something that, you know, you can say that people don't know? Um, we want to know who she was. We don't, we, we've heard all the things uh, about, I'm going to take this out because it's falling out. We've heard all the things <laughs> about, um, you know, the facts of the case. Mm-hmm. But who was she as a person? You know, and she told, I remember her telling me that, yeah, she was an EMT, right? Mm -hmm. But she wanted to be a nurse. And she was Mm -hmm. was studying to get to that point. You know, she she just loved helping people. And that's something, again, that, you know, I think gets lost when you think about these these names and these faces and people are putting them through social media and they're doing the marches. You forget about the human being. And, and that's what I think we as journalists should be purporting. We should be exposing who the human being is, was um, yeah. in these situations so that people remember this is, yes, there's a case. Yes, this is a bigger thing, um, but this is a human being who yes. was lost. And here's a reminder of who that person was. Right. And I feel like, I agree, that's always lost. And that's what I do appreciate about Black journalism, I feel like, is um, you guys always make it a point to to humanize mm-hmm. to humanize the, the victims or even survivors. If we're talking about people who have survived exactly. something, you always make exactly. sure to humanize them. And I feel like a lot of people are able to spew the hate and to see things differently because they aren't getting that aspect just looking at the news. It's always right. you know just shown as a subject or something you know so much bigger. The humanization process with that, uh, I feel like that was the first time I saw it in that case. Mm. Because of like social media, and I would see like different pictures of Brianna, like at a party or at church or wherever, and I'm like, mm-hmm. she wants to get my cousins. Yes, that really yeah. hit me in the heart. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Mm. Let's take a moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Take yeah. some breaths. Yes. Okay. Um. So. Have you ever been the only Black woman in a room for a job? And uh, if you were, how did you navigate those spaces? Going out for a job or within the job itself? Within the job itself. Or both, actually. I'd love to hear both. Yeah. Well, you know, because I went to a predominantly white uh, university or college, um, I'm used to that space. It's not Mm -hmm. an unfamiliar space to me. Um, It's a space that, quite frankly, I'm okay navigating. Um, you know, I think that white folks don't always understand that whenever we're the only, we immediately get into a room and we clock, right? Yes. We clock to see who else is familiar. Um, yes. When we don't, we internalize that. They don't mm-hmm. have to do that. Mm, nice. But <laughs> we do. And we often yeah. do, particularly Black women. Um, so, yes, being the only, um, particularly, I would say, when 
you know, having worked at, at, at majority black outlets, it's, um, I, I've been lucky that I've been in spaces where those spaces have been comfortable because there are other people of color um, in those spaces. Mm. Uh, but when I, when I went to cover the um, DNC and RNC for mm. Essence, it was part of a bigger um, project that the company as a whole, our corporate company at the time, Time Inc., was sending different people from different outlets. So I went with a group of reporters, one from Time Magazine, one from People Magazine, one from Essence, one from, right? And so we were sort of a collective that went to, um, to the RNC and DNC. And so, yeah, I was the only Black person in the group who was wow. there. Um, and I distinctly remember being a part of that press pool uh, at the DNC and with reporters, you know, really kind of high level reporters from Time Magazine, um, mm. Time.com and People, and these are big mainstream outlets. Um, and we're all, you know, kind of like, hey, yeah, but not taking Essence seriously because we're a women's publication. Yes. Or they just don't know what Essence is, believe it or not. A lot of yeah. people or not people of color just don't know what Essence is. Right. Um, and so we're all in our pool and I just remember working my contacts and getting that interview with Mrs. Obama and mm -hmm. saying to the group, cause I had to do this interview, we were all sort of in, in a pool area at the um, DNC, audit, it was a stadium or auditorium, I can't remember, but I had to go back to the hotel to do this interview online with her and mm -hmm. um, I said, guys, I have to go back to the hotel. I'm going to interview Mrs. Obama. And the faces were just like, how did you get that? <laughs> because I'm that girl. <laughs> it's not just that, but don't underestimate us. Yes. Don't ever underestimate us. We're yes. always thought of as not being able to. And mm -hmm. I like to be that sort of silent assassin where I'm just like, mm. Thanks. Right. Right. Because right. having worked at Essence, having worked at Ebony, having worked at Jet the Grio at BET, even with that resume, there are still white folks who will look at my resume and say, eh, eh. Mm. right? Because they don't understand what these outlets have meant to our community. Yes. And me going into a space having to explain that all the time is interesting. Mm. But um, I'm all about education. I'm all about information. I'm all about empowerment. I'm all about, um, you know, just enlightening people. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't mind doing it. I've been doing it since I was in college. So it's kind of what I'm here to do. So being in those spaces, I don't, I'm not uncomfortable. Um, I always say that and this, is, this is a nuance. Like, I, you know, you have to be very smart in how you navigate these things. But... Mm -hmm go into a space very confident that you know your business. Yes. Make sure you do know your business, right? You mm -hmm. can't make it, but go right. into the space knowing that you know your business. Like I went into those spaces with those other outlets with people who had clearly had more experience than me, yes, but I knew I had this connection to the White House. Yes. I knew that this thing that I was working on the side was coming to me. So I just mm -hmm. kept it close to the vest and at the right time, informed the group that guess what? I belong here too. Yes. Right? I belong in this space. Um, so I've worked hard as well. And you don't always have to say that. I think sometimes in your actions, that's mm -hmm. all you need. 
It's yeah. not always so. So I don't believe in being the loudest voice in the room. In fact, I've turned off by that. Mm. I prefer someone being, I have the most clicks or mm. I have someone quoting my story or, you know, my story got picked up X, Y, and Z. That tells me you're a boss. Yes. You're letting the work speak for you. Let the work speak for you. You being loud and obnoxious, anybody can do that. That's right. What's special about that? <laughs> Like I said, it's a turnoff. What to me is let your work speak for itself. Um, that shines brighter and it gets more attention from folks who will, who you don't always realize are watching. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you for that, Jim. Yeah. <laughs> I'm definitely taking that with me. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um. Oh yeah, it's my turn. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> so. <laughs> We live in a social media driven world. How do you feel that, how do you feel about journalism changing over the course of your 20 year career, especially yeah. with digital spaces like Twitter, Instagram, um, determining which stories get told so often? Cause I've noticed that like on Twitter, conversations are constantly like being repeated. It's just like an echo chamber. Yeah. And I don't think people realize that. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, you know, I think, it's weird because I often tell people I don't even know what a journalist is in 2021, 2022. Um, and that's why a lot of us are calling, and you mentioned as well, calling ourselves content creators because journalism has become this almost like an outlaw, <laughs> you know, area of, of just anybody and everybody thinks that they can do this thing called journalism. Um, and some people who you know haven't studied it have done quite well at it, right? But I think what's always missing is the foundation. Yes. It's always missing is the foundation. And so social media um, allows for everybody to have an opinion, whether they are um, expert at it or not. Mm -hmm. And so you have to take social media with a grain of salt. If you take it as Bible, as you take it as doctrine, you will end up becoming a very confused and uninformed um, person, mm -hmm. in my opinion, even because there's so much information coming at you. Mm -hmm. Yes. The everyday person doesn't have the ability to discern information. And right. I know that that may sound a little bit, you know, like, uh, but it's true. You have, you know, if you hear that, oh gosh, I don't know, some celebrity is, is, you know, suddenly found to have, you know, a bunch of drugs on them. Um, mm -hmm. And you are like spreading that information at, at will because you saw it on some blog. Right. And not realizing that maybe this photo that you saw is actually part of a movie. Mm -hmm. Yes. But yep. Then what, right? Exactly. So just run with stuff. And yes. always take the time to do the digging for the, the research. Yes. Research for the <laughs> yes. And so that's why why I think like leave it to the experts, leave it to the mm -hmm. people who know what we're doing, leave it to the people who can tell you the truth. Um, don't always go to these blogs and take it as truth. Just think things through. I always tell people. You see it on BET. Go to another. Go to another place and read it as well. Yeah. Information from different places so that yes. you can make up your own mind. One of the reasons why Fox News and MSNBC, quite frankly, are doing so well is because people watch it to to um, 
really make themselves feel better about their own opinions, whether left yes. or right. Yes. Right. <laughs> it tends to be that more even heel and and you know, there's you know, they're a little struggling yeah. with that, that a bit. But I think that the other two do well because people want to feel like, oh yeah, that's right. I knew I was right. People have to start thinking, all right, I know that I think this way, but let me let me look at what the other side is saying. Let right. me look at what this side is saying. Let me see what this person is saying. And be more well-rounded. Be, be more well That's it. That's it. Yeah. That's what I feel like we don't have right now. You know, and that, social media has been a great um, unifier in a lot of ways. It's been a great way to give get people information quickly, right? Yes. Imagine if we had social media in the days when slavery was ended. You had people still three, two, three years later were still like you know feeding massa. So right, this social media is great in terms of getting the information out there quickly. Mm -hmm. What it isn't great on is making sure that information is factual and making sure that information is accurate, making sure that information isn't hurtful, making sure that information isn't going to end up, you know, being more detrimental to someone than it could have. Yeah. Um, we don't have enough guardrails in place, mm -hmm. in my opinion. Too many kids are reliant upon social media for their daily dose of information. Mm -hmm. um, and as a result, you know, you also, I think, have to do digital, I, I, we call it like digital detox, mm -hmm. you know, making sure you stay off of some of these out, outlets because otherwise it just becomes so overwhelming with the imagery. You wonder why um, the innocence is lost mm -hmm. nowadays where you have kids who aren't kids anymore. Yeah. It's they're seeing so much imagery on social media. They're seeing so many pictures, videos, words that take away that innocence. Yeah. Um, and so it's I just think it's important if there aren't guardrails in place, and again, parents or you have to have your own guardrails um, and give yourself that break um, at times. So yeah, so I think it's a great tool for journalists as well, yeah. right? Twitter is a great tool to reach out to people and connect with people really quickly. Um, Instagram is a great tool to be able to see people in the moment and experience and see experiences. Great tools to use to tell our stories. Um, but I think you just have to be very cognitive of mm -hmm. the people you follow and the information that they're giving out. Mm -hmm. I agree, yeah. yeah. I find that a lot of people rely on like confirmation bias to make whatever they're putting out make sense because they mm -hmm. like it instead of doing like the full research like you said um yeah yeah and also um something i've been noticing lately especially if i get on facebook you know facebook is in a totally different <laughs> place a digital space um but just those those fake stories that you see from blogs or yeah. you know like a fake blog and people literally take it you know right away and i see so many people on my timeline like you know, discussing these things, and I'm like, y'all don't even realize that this isn't exactly. this isn't real. This isn't even like a real thing, um, and they don't they don't get it. And I agree, you do. You have to do. I I hop on Google right away and try to figure out oh, what yeah. everything is. <laughs> I look up. I'm like, mm, I don't know 
know if I want to take yes, it. So exactly. yeah, it's important to do yeah. that. It's important, really important. Yeah. And a lot of people are not that good at doing research. Like they kind of just <laughs> do their Googles and then they see the first three results and they're like, yeah, right. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Multiple times. From, a, from an algorithm standpoint, they don't even realize how these things work. It's really. deep. You know, it is very deep. It is very mm. deep. So you do have to sort of click around to yes. get the, the best pieces of information for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So going back to social media again, um, what was it like for you navigating and adapting to living in the social media driven world? And as a journalist, was there a specific moment that you realized that things had changed or things were different? Yeah. You know, I think um, the moment I realized things were different and had changed is when I started to see journalists about 10 years ago, one particular journalist who I won't mention, but um, who said something on Twitter and got suspended. And that is sort of like, that was a wake up call for a lot of us um, mm -hmm. because it, you know, we realized that it's a platform that people are watching. It's a platform where even though his opinion was his opinion, um, he was tied to a certain outlet and mm -hmm. a very well-known um, media outlet, and um, at the end of the day, you you represent that outlet, yeah. no matter what, you know. Um, and yes, he ended up getting suspended, um, but it made us all sort of like really aware that you know you have to be very careful with what you say and put out there. So for me, even though I know that social media is super important, um, I'm very careful with what I share. Mm -hmm. um, um, I usually don't share a lot about my personal life um, because there has to be a part of life that is for you. I'm not a celebrity. I think that's different for celebrities personally. I feel like if you want me to watch your movie, I should know about everything about you. Yes. And what? <laughs> I know that they disagree. You do want me to pick up this album, right? And for you to have right. conditions on that, I think it's kind of weird. Mm -hmm. Do I need to know everything? No, but yeah. I don't like celebrities who are like, no, I don't wish to discuss that part of my life. Um, <laughs> and I don't wish to depart with this $13.99 for the streaming. <laughs> Why should I listen to it? You have to give a little something to get a little something. So, yes. um, you know, I think that I think that social media for journalists have become a tool for us. Mm -hmm. um, but you won't, I mean, some people do share quite a lot about their lives and they feel that they need to in order to stay in the zeitgeist and stay relevant. I like to think of myself as just a conduit. I'm not a part of the news. I am the purveyor of the news. I'm the person who gives you the news. I'm the mm -hmm. connective tissue, nothing more. Um, those journalists who feel the need to make themselves the news. There's plenty of them. There are plenty of them and mm -hmm. uh, more power to them. But to yeah. me, you're taking away from the craft itself. Um, yeah. You're taking away because then you become the celebrity and mm -hmm. it just waters down what we are supposed to be. Yeah. You know, um, the, message the, gets day, lost. the message gets lost because then it becomes about you. Okay. Right. Right. Here, quite frankly, that's, you know, one of the things <laughs> I used to always say is I don't read blogs because blogs are people's personal journals. I don't really mm -hmm. care what you have to say about X, Y, I don't care. I, I care <laughs> about that other person's story 
that is you know, so poignant, so important, so necessary. But if you are talking about, well, I ate a can of tuna fish yesterday and da 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 da, and this is your day, I do not care. Um, so blogs for me have always been sort of like eye roll. Um, they've become become more and more important, uh, particularly you know as social media has inf infused its way into storytelling. So yes. and they become successful again mm -hmm. because there isn't that discerning spirit. Yeah. But um, but you know I think that people really do have to think carefully about the information that they receive, where it comes from, how they're receiving it, um, why they're receiving it. And what they also don't realize with celebrity journalism, a lot of these celebrities feel some kind of way because this has been exposed, that has been exposed, when nine times out of 10, they're the ones who are giving the information to us. Yes, they are exposed because you don't realize. have to do that as a celebrity. Like you when don't. you think about, there's so many people who live their lives, you don't know what's going on with them at all. That's and they right. tell us what they want to tell us. That's and a right. lot of times if we're hearing something bad, it's because you've exposed yourself or you've given That's us it. this thing and now you're upset That's everyone's it. talking about it, but and now you're you upset put it out there to be talked about. So <laughs> let's talk about it. Let's talk yeah, about it. I also feel like, um, I know one of the, one of the things that we were taught um, as broadcast journalists, you know, going through undergrad was that journalism, you know, you're supposed to stay like unbiased. You're not supposed to give your opinion. Yeah. And I kind of feel like that's starting to change a little bit, yeah. especially in broadcast journalism. I feel like that's yeah. changed. How do you feel about that? It is changing. It is changing. Um, and like I said, you have those venerable outlets like a MSNBC or a Fox News. Mm -hmm. that are becoming more successful because people are finding opinions that are in alignment with their own way of thinking. And yes. that is a successful way of um, putting, bringing about news and information because people mm -hmm. get the cosign and they feel yeah. good about the cosign, right? right. Um, that straight-laced sort of, you know, fact-based, this is what it is, that's always going to be there in the APs and the routers and, you know, sort of those outlets. Um, but people love to hear an opinion and opinion pieces are doing really a, a lot. Those voices are getting stronger nowadays. There's a way to do opinion pieces where they are again, based in fact, mm -hmm. based the ingredients are all fact based with yeah. the opinion then developed out of that. Um, so there's a way to do these pieces that it's smart, and that is, um, that's not going to be so ladled in egregious statements that, you know, just people are just saying stuff just to be, just to say it, right? Yeah. And just to be like um, extra um, right. and get, get, you know, go viral. Get the views. Get the views. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I think you, ha you know, you, ha you have to, these opinion based, whether they be viral moments or statements, um, if you look at something like The View, right, you have those women who are on there, they do a lot of research. They do a yes. lot of prep to understand the stories that they're putting out there and then base their opinion on those facts. That's right. The way Almost like a research paper. There yeah. you go. You yeah. know, that's the way it should be done rather than just speaking off the cuff um, and, and having your moment just to have your moment. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that that type of journalism you're going to see more of. 
as mm-hmm. we you know pour right in because everybody wants to be heard everybody and now you have more platforms to do so right you've got different podcasts and different um different uh, media outlets that or, or people are starting their own yeah. uh and so you know you don't have to have <laughs> there you go you don't have to have the, the traditional uh platforms anymore and that's mm-hmm. incredible but i think it's super important for people to do it in a way that's not going to be harmful Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. It's a there's a responsibility. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That makes me think of uh I don't know if you know Nardwar. He's a entertainment journalist or like a music journalist. Mm-hmm. And like he usually like posts videos on YouTube. I don't know if he's done anything recently, but he can find people's like like the street that they lived on when they were like seven years old or something. And they're like, mm-hmm. How did you know that? And then like <laughs> It'll be like, oh, you had this nickname when you were 17 and you were living with your grandma or something. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> He's like a super sleuth. Well, that's, that's doing the research, though. That's doing yeah. the homework, right? That's mm-hmm. super important. And yeah, I mean, I've had interviews where people are like, oh, how'd you know that? And I'm like, well, I did my research. Yeah. You know, um, I, I did an interview with uh, Ambassador Susan Rice a couple years ago. And she had done, um, she was on her book tour and she had done an interview with another outlet. And she said to me afterwards that this was, this was a great interview. And she's like, because you did your homework. The other outlet didn't. And she felt like the questions are really surface. Um, but you have to do, I read, the book was long. I'm not gonna say, I'm not gonna lie. I didn't read the whole book. The book was long, but I read, I read a big, a good part of it, and um, you know, got really poignant moments from the book that I felt like wanted to get more deeper conversation about things. Again, <clears throat> she's the type of person who very straight laced, worked in the Obama administration, um, in national security, was seen as very like, you know, about her business, mm. but got to understand um, her as a person, her as a woman, her as a black woman, her as a mother, um, you know, the struggles that she has had in life, coming from divorced parents, um, having a son who's a Republican, um, Mm. you know, these are things that we got into in our conversation uh, and how she sort of manages it all. So super important for people to just take the time, do a little digging, um, and really get to know a person beyond the press release. Yes. Yeah. So to switch gears, um, what is an aspect of life that inspires you and how do you connect it to your career? Hmm, an aspect of life that inspires me. It could be anything. It could be anything. Hmm. You know what inspires me? Um, people who are able to do solo travel. It's not something that I have been comfortable with, um, but I'm always inspired and um, really in awe of people who can pick up and go to the Maldives or go to Spain or go to the Greek islands or wherever the case may be and just go by themselves or with a group of friends and just live and enjoy. Um, I love the idea of international travel um, and exploring places that we aren't always seen or heard or, or, or you know, should be. Um, one of the things that I did at Essence, I started a column, it's not there anymore, but I called it Women of the Diaspora. And uh, I, what I wanted to do was give expats 
women who have left America to live lives elsewhere and spaces that we weren't normally be seen, whether it be Czechoslovakia or um, Russia or China, um, black women who are living and thriving and developing lives and in business and have great jobs and great family lives in these places. Mm. And uh, really talking about everything from where they get their hair done to how they get their foods that they love. You know, I need um, to read that now. <laughs> Where, what archive can we find this in? <laughs> because oh gosh, yeah, I think that was a good 10, 12, 15 years ago that we did Ooh. that. Um, but I, it was important for me to give insight into Black women who are outside of the realms of the U.S. to mm -hmm. show other Black women that it's possible. Um, you know, and so I think that we tend to stick to the traditional um, vacation spots, right? We're going to, the most we do is Mexico. That's any type of exotic. But um, I think we should always think of like Europe and like I said, Asia and outside of the realms of just Ghana, you know, Tunisia and Egypt and some of these other places that um, Black American faces and voices aren't always seen or heard um, and and just explore. There's so much, you would not, you'd be surprised how many people, I find it surprising how many black Americans do not have passports. And as being someone who is, whose family isn't from here, I've had a passport since I was eight months old. Mm. So for me, it's normal but my friends, they, a lot of them have never left the country. And mm -hmm. I find that interesting. Um, so to me, international travel is just, um, it's something we should be doing more of. Uh, yeah. you, you become, when you see something, it becomes more normative, right? Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of places that have an idea of what we are, of who we are, and we can't dispel those ideas unless we're in those places to do mm -hmm. so. So for me, um, I was a part of a group called the Experiment in International Living. Um, it allowed me at 17 to travel to France with a group of students um, for the summer. So before I went to college, I spent six weeks with the host family, a white family who lived on a farm in Northern France. Did they knew no English and I was st still studying French. I'd studied French in high school for four years, but still wasn't proficient. Um, and I lived with them for four out of those six weeks. Uh, and that wow. was a life-changing experience because it was also the first time that I wasn't seen as black. I wasn't seen mm -hmm. as Caribbean American. I was seen as La American. I was the American. Wow. And it's you leave here, but you kind of understand like that. what that feels like mm -hmm. and all the baggage that comes with that politically and all elsewise. So mm -hmm. navigating that, was also very interesting. Um, but I think interna you know, international uh, vacationing and living is something that everybody should, at one point in their life, have the experience to do. Yeah, I yes. agree. I feel like that's something that um, I know our generation specifically, but I am just seeing it a lot more, even with like my mom and, and her friends, like they are making it a point to travel more, which I think right. is incredible. And it right. is, it's a great way to open up your mind and to right. realize that just because we live one way doesn't mean that that's, you know, that's just- the only way. Yes. 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 Right, exactly. 
Yeah. yeah it's, and it, it, it opens your heart as well to different cultures. You experience different foods. Yes. Um, something growing up in New York, we, we, we are uh, spoiled with, right? Mm. Because you can go down the block and get one thing. You go down another block and get something else, completely yes. different cultures. It's easy for us to go to a little Italy or a Chinatown or wherever and get these things or, you know, the Caribbean place or whatever. And, right. and this city is indeed a melting pot in so many ways. We are also a segregated melting pot, which we don't talk about. That's yes. another conversation altogether. But um, <laughs> but it, it it helped, I think, you know, I went to a high school where my six, seven best friends um, were either Black American or um, I have one friend who is half Dominican, half Puerto Rican. I have another friend who's half Irish, half Puerto Rican. I have another friend who's Portuguese. And I have another friend who's half Irish, half Guyanese. And then myself. And that was our... (laughs) (laughs) So for us, it was like, you know, again, like I, if I get into spaces that are so like regimented, it's weird to me, you know, because we all learn from each other. We all learn from each other's culture. We are mm-hmm. um, more amenable to understanding people, I think, because of that. Um, mm-hmm. And and we just have an, a better appreciation. Um, yeah. That, yeah, I, you know, I realized going to college that not everybody had that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but for, us, for us, it really was, I think, a wonderful um, opportunity to just learn from each other, too. Absolutely. Yeah, I've been watching a lot of videos of like solo travel because I just want to. I, sometimes I just want to go. <laughs> I'm just so scared and drop everything. That's and then that's the thing. Right. Yeah. Fear factor, but you know, I like I said, I really am inspired and appreciate the people who are just able to pick up and go. Um, yeah. There are a couple of there are a couple of groups as well who I actually secretly like follow and I just like one of these days, maybe I'll do it, um, who get people, just solo people together. And they go- My hairstylist is doing that right now. Yeah. And they go as a group. So um, I'm I'm always saying one of these days um, I'll, you know, pick up and and do a trip to like, I mean, I really want to go to to Greece. Um, it's just so beautiful, right? And, is, I, and yes. I've always wanted to go to Egypt. And um, back, I think about maybe eight, nine years ago, there was a um, a big sale where um, um, people were get, going to Abu Dhabi. Um, I remember and, that. Yeah, yeah you remember that, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was like a, a glitch in the system or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I bought like tickets to Abu Dhabi and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I I wish I had jumped on that, but you know, I missed yeah. it. That's <laughs> <laughs> incredible. They need to do that again. Like somebody got to do something to exactly. all so we can exactly. slide in and get those tickets. Exactly. Yeah. I was. Um, I saw something. I think it was on YouTube. Um, and people were suggesting like you start off with like domestic flights. So like, mm-hmm. you want to take a trip to like California by yourself. Yeah. And yeah. then, like see the size or just start in your own town. 
That's right. I have that's a friend right. that's doing that at the moment. She's been like traveling in different places alone and trying out the different foods. And uh, every time that she goes to a new place, I'm always, you know, asking her, I'm like, well, how are you feeling? Because that's my biggest thing is, and maybe not so much traveling domestically, but definitely going overseas. It's like, am yeah. I going to be safe out here right, by myself? Right. But she's having like the best time. She always gives like a synopsis of everything that she did. And I'm like, you know, I think I may have to try that. Out. Try this. Yeah. 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 Yes, yes. Or just find that one friend, you know, you, we all have a, a friend group where you have that friend who spends a little bit too much and that's not the person you want to take with you. Yes. <laughs> you don't ever have the money. But you, you find the friends who, you know, can, you'll have each other's backs and, mm-hmm. you know, you'll, you'll feel comfortable, you know, having this experience yourself. I mean, I was able to do that um, in my 20s when, you know, we were, you know, traveling with friends in different places on vacation. Um, I miss that and I, I would like to get back to it. But now everybody's like, you know, homeowners and, and responsible people. Uh, okay, <laughs> having families and, um, and children. Yeah, and exactly. and children and all that. So it's kind of hard for folks to, to, you know, get an extra grand or two to do yes. it properly. Um, because yeah, you know, I, back in the day, I could do a youth hostel. I ain't doing no youth hostel anymore. We're past <laughs> that stage. Um, but yes, yes, you know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I admire people who go back like all around the world. Yeah, I'm not doing that. No mads of the world. If not yeah. three, it has to be four or five star hotel. I'm, I'm just, I'm not. I'm, okay. I'm too old to be doing a backpack. Even camping. I need a cabin. (laughs) Again, New York City girl. um, (laughs) Idea of being in a park. That's what it is. What is this, honey? We're not doing that. Mm -mm. The camping thing is not attractive at all. Glamping now. Glamping in a trailer. Mm -hmm, That's mm -hmm. a little different. Yes. Glamping in a trailer. I did a story on glamping a couple of years ago. And so that that um that is attractive. But um yeah. but yeah, the actual on a campground and in a tent and bears and spiders and no, thank you. Yeah, mm-hmm. no. I did it as a kid I'm good on that. <laughs> um also switching gears again. Uh, can you summarize how your mentoring process works and do you tailor it based on the mentee? Or is the process like similar for everyone? So do you have like guidelines, I guess, that you follow for everyone? Or is it kind of just like you get to know them and then y'all go on from there? Yeah. Yeah, I think it has to be individual to each person, Um, you know, because everybody's different. Everybody interprets differently. Everybody learns differently. Um, And I think that in the past, the people who have... It's never been a formal mentee-mentor situation. It's just people who... I have wanted to help and who I hope I have helped and given advice to, um, who have gone on to do really amazing things. And, and so for me, it's, it is about um, just imparting uh, pieces of information that I think could be helpful. Um, it's, not, it's nothing formal, right? To me, it's never a formal where we have to sit and talk 45 minutes about your career and what you're doing. It's really about, okay, how are you navigating these spaces? Um, how are you, are you being too sensitive in certain situations? Are you not being cognitive enough in other certain situations? Um, and standing up for oneself, having confidence in oneself, um, 
I've had situations in my career where I've had people steal my ideas and, and, and literally present them in front of me. How did I navigate that? I've had situations where I had um, inappropriate touching. How did I navigate that? Um, I've had situations where I've had, I felt like I was being ignored when other people got advances. How did I navigate that? So all of these things are not necessarily um, individual to me, right? Mm -hmm. These are things that will happen um, yeah. to everyone. And so all I can do is help someone else figure out how to navigate these spaces without getting flustered or um, leaving, really, because there have been some times where people are like, I don't want to do this. It's too yeah. hard. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, hopefully giving folks enough information, enough advice um, to make them feel confident enough to go through the process, get yes. from one side to the next. Uh, and, and what, you know, how I did it may not work for yeah. them. That's why I think it really has to be about an individual conversation. And sometimes I, I always say, all I can do is advise. I can't tell you what to do. All I can yeah. do is do what I will do, what I, you know, pieces of what I've seen have, has worked. And then it's up to you to take it. Um, right. Have your own journey, be on your own path. Uh, you know, a lot of people ask me, you know, do you think I should go to grad school for journalism? I, I can't answer that for you. No. That's an expensive <laughs> decision to make. Yes. You know, it's a really expensive decision. It's something that I did because I felt like I needed that foundation. I felt like I needed the extra instruction um, that I didn't get in undergrad. But if you're going to, to school and you're already getting a journalism degree in your undergrad, I mean, do you need the extra? It's really up to you. Um, that extra really, literally, it helped me get my first internship. It helped me get my first job. You know, being in, in, in at NYU helped me make those connections because my professor knew someone who knew someone who knew someone. Mm -hmm. um, and I wouldn't have had that had I not gone through that program. But right. someone else could have already, you know, been in those spaces um, right. without right. having to go through all of it. Exactly. Right. Um, and the other thing people don't always remember and the, the thing that I always, always, always try to tell people is the person who you work with today could be your boss tomorrow. That's mm -hmm. how this industry rolls. Yeah. You never know who is going to advance and who is, or who knows who, right? Yes. I've had people who have interviewed with me, but messed up in a job that my friend was their boss. And mm -hmm. my friend says to me, nah, that, that chick, she don't got it. <laughs> so when you interview with me, I'm looking at you like, right. <laughs> no. I let, business, right? I let you go through the motions because mm -hmm. I have to make my own decision. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, hmm, do I really want to take this on, right? right? Vice versa. People have worked with me who haven't, in my opinion, produced what I asked for or mm -hmm. produced what was assigned to you. And yes. so when somebody else says, oh, I'm thinking about hiring X, Y, and Z, and I'll say, uh, you may not want to do that. <laughs> yes. mm -hmm. So be very careful because a lot of us at, you know, in black media in particular, who are in certain positions, we know mm -hmm. each other and we yes. talk. Yeah. Uh, and so you always want to, don't take on an assignment if you can't finish it. Mm -hmm. Don't take on an assignment. That's my biggest pet peeve. 
Don't take an, an assignment if you have no intention on finishing it, because in the end, what it will be is more work for me. Mm. Mm. And so there's a couple of people right now who probably were watching this who were like, why doesn't anybody talk to me anymore? <laughs> Girl, you didn't understand the assignment. That's I've created an environment where I have to work harder than I already yes. work harder, right? And so if you're doing that to your editor, it's not just me. If you're doing that to your editor, your boss, whomever, your job mm -hmm. should be to do the assignment and make your boss's job easier. Those are the people we remember. Those are the people we want to help. Those are the people we want to develop. When you're when you're all about the yammering and the back talk and the this is why, this is why, this is why, this is why, all I want to do is shut you down and move on to somebody who's going to do the job and do it without all of that. All that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if anything, those are the pieces of advice that I give to the people who I, I help. I don't want to call it a mentor mentee because it's, it's just people who I feel like are serious about their business mm. and really want to um, be great at this, not good, right? Because anybody could be good. It's being great at this. Mm -hmm. I don't do mediocrity. I don't do anything with mediocrity in mind. I do yeah. it with the idea of being great at it. Mm. And if you don't come with that same mindset, then I can't help you yes. because your level isn't high enough. Period. Yes. <laughs> also, speaking of hard work, I remember the first time that we talked over the phone mm -hmm. and you told me a story about uh, two uh, interns that you had. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. Do you remember that story? Which one? <laughs> <laughs> many so had, it was about their work ethic. And I wanted you to, to tell that story again, because one of them really wasn't trying to do the work and the other one was staying back and, and doing what needed to be done. I, and, I wonder um, if that was the, I'm trying to think what story this was. Was this the um, story about Michael Jackson? I th yes, yes. I think it was that. Yep. That All right. It. So I had two interns at the time. This is when we were at Essence. And this is when Michael Jackson died. Mm -hmm. And we got the news. Um, we were working at Essence.com. And um, because we were part of a company that also included at that time TMZ. Mm -hmm. um, and so TMZ had the news hours before anybody else. TMZ behind. Here's a tidbit on how they get the information. TMZ pays the ambulance drivers, the nurses, mm -hmm. the custodians in the hospital. That's how they get their information. So wow. this is how they knew. They have these people on retainer. This is how they knew that he had died he had, was, he, I think they already presented him being dead in the ambulance drive to the hospital. I think, I'm not sure, but that's how wow. TMZ knows this stuff. So our connectors at TMZ had told us this, but we were not going with the story until we got more credible proof, particularly mm -hmm. from CNN at that time, because we also had connectors at, at CNN. All right. Mm -hmm. So once the, the news came through, um, I was the news editor at Essence.com at the time. And so um, the assignment was, we, our office was about maybe about five, six blocks from Times Square. So the assignment was go take out, take some of the interns with you um, and talk to people in Times Square to get their immediate reactions. Uh, so we could get those quotes online. Mm -hmm. uh, and so 
I went to one intern that was about four, maybe 4.45, 4.50 at the time in the afternoon. And I remember that because the interns worked from nine to five. Mm. I went to one intern and she said to me, oh, it's 4.50 and I'm done at five and I have plans tonight. So I'm not going to be able to go. Plans? <laughs> well, I, just, and I remember that and I was like, okay. And uh, being a part of corporate, I can't force her because, mm. you know, we were really regimented in how we used our interns. So it really had to be her decision and, you know, in order to come, I said, okay, fine, no problem. I went to the other intern and I said, hey, can you come with me to Times Square? She had her pad and her recorder already in hand, <laughs> right? So um, Mavis, I remember her name. Um, and I don't remember the other girl's name. Put it like that. Mavis and I went out to Mavis Ball and I went out to um, Times Square and we got those names and um, she did the reporting and she helped me get the um, material release forms, which legally we had to get when we talked to someone, we had to get them to sign a release form because we also took photos right, mm. of these people. And there were people in tears. There were people who were watching the Jumbotron in, in Times Square of his videos and mm. the emotion and we captured it all. Mm. And we came back to the office, we wrote it all up and we got it online within like an hour or two of him dying. Wow! Wow! It's reporting, it's reporting, that's right. journalism, and mm-hmm. May this is is you know she's moved on and done incredible things, but I remember her in the moment of doing that because she didn't let the time or something else stop her from getting this incredible opportunity to yes. speak to people in what is a breaking news environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, two different interns, two different mindsets, two different choices. Yeah. I don't know, I don't remember the other girl saying that. That story will always <laughs> stick with me. <laughs> right? Because yes, work ethic is such an important thing. I didn't force either of them, but it's the decisions that you make in the moment yes. that really will leave an imprint in the people who you work with. It's the decisions to go the extra mile. It's the decision not to be so, it's all about me. It's, it's my time and I, I got something to do and I can't, you know, it's it's the decision to put the job first sometimes, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, again, it, within reason, but yeah. the decision to put your career first. It's a decision to um, make your boss's job easier that yes. makes you memorable and that Especially makes in a me- like that. Mm-hmm. Makes me want to help you in the long run, right? Yes. If she came to me and said, I need X, Y, and Z, I'd be happy to help her because mm-hmm. I knew in that moment she was about her business. Right. She wanted this thing. She yeah. wanted this thing. Shout out to Mavis. Okay. <laughs> yes. so. Do you have any specific examples of bad journalism that you've noticed throughout your career? I feel like that was uh, <laughs> an example of one. Yeah. But. Uh-huh. <laughs> Specific examples of bad journalism. Um, Nothing I can think of off the top of my head. I just feel like, you know, again, I think we've talked about it already. Some of these blogs, um, you know, can be very over the top. Um, You know, I think anything that talks about kids inappropriately 
um, anything that talks about um, sexualizing women in an appropriate inappropriate way. Um, I just say to myself sometimes, why? Like, is it really necessary to put that out there like yeah. that? Um, you know, I, I think when I when I think of bad journalism, I think of of either people who are pushing themselves to be the news, pushing mm -hmm. themselves to be the celebrity, unnecessarily so. Um, yeah. I think of people who don't take the time to do their homework and mm -hmm. to really ask the important questions um, yeah. or just introspective questions. Um, I think of, um, I think of just, yeah, things that, that take advantage of children. Um, mm. I, I don't, you know, I don't like seeing any of that. Uh, but unfortunately, those are the things that sometimes, um, you know, people are attracted to when they click on most or yeah. they're picking up most or they're reading most, you know. Um, we live in a very, um, a society that I think, the, you know, some of our values are really kind of all over the place. And we can't we can't get back to to back on track if we ever yeah. were. Yes. <laughs> we can't get back. On track. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. We start making some better decisions for yeah. us as a community, plain and simple. I mean, what's happening outside of the community happens outside the community. But there are some times, that, you know, and I I am I'm sort of like a. Um, uh, a fly on the wall when it comes to social media. My accounts are what they are, but I look and I see everything. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, uh, uh, particularly on some of these other, like Facebook is trying to be more careful with it. But, yeah. you know, IG, TikTok, some of this stuff, I'm just like, wow, mm -hmm. that's out there. I've seen stuff on Twitter. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Watching this, somebody this, nobody, like anybody could click on this and see this. I might be able to see this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, you, have, you have to prepare yourself before getting on a time. Yeah, you yeah, you really do. So far off what you've ever seen before. So exactly. yeah, that happens exactly. every day. Exactly. Mm -hmm. But you know, and then uh, and then at times I think that there there needs to be just like the serious, there needs to be a space for the levity, there needs to be a space for the fun. There needs to be a, yes. we need the balance. Yes. And so those outlets that do things like quizzes and, mm. you know, or tips or, um, you know, cooking or whatever the case may be, we need that. We yeah. need to support those spaces too, because we can't just be all about the celebrity or all about the news or all about the, yeah. the music. It, it, there should be uh, spaces for everything. Um, so I just feel like, you know, to me, the only bad journalism is if people lie. Mm -hmm. If people lie and people tell untruths, um, knowing that it's yeah. a lie and an untruth. Yeah. I love this conversation. I do too. <laughs> um, so how did you learn to embrace failure if you do? Or I know like embracing it is very hard sometimes. And I know yeah. sometimes we like want to give up and sometimes we do have a moment where we do. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, I don't think I have learned that. I, I wouldn't say that I have learned to embrace it. It's very hard, of course. Um, I have a, a um, overachievers mindset. 
So for me, you know, failure looks differently. Failure is, you know, again, I, I just telling this story the other day. I um, remember being in third grade and I think I got like an 85 on a test and started to cry. And the teacher came to me and said, what's wrong? And I said, well, I got an 85. And he said, well, but that's, that's good. That's like a B, B plus. And I said, you don't understand. I can't go home with this grade. Mm-hmm. Like my household, this is, this is an F. Right. This is an F. Yeah. So that's third grade. So that type mm-hmm. of pressure um, I've always felt, uh, whether for good or not. Um, but for me, um, failing, and, and, and it has happened, of course, everybody's gone through failure. Um, it's, it's harder to accept, um, doesn't feel great, but I will say that I try to learn from it. I mm. will say that I try not to make the same mistakes twice. I will say that I at least have the wherewithal to take a step back and say, what did I do wrong? Rather than, oh, what did that person do wrong to me? That person didn't, the man is against me and all that nonsense. Yeah. I take some time to say, how could I have done this better? Yeah. Okay, if I get another chance next time, I will do it better. Mm-hmm. Next time, this is what I have to do, right? One of the things I remember in college, um, being an English major, I had to take Shakespeare. It was a requirement. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> that's exactly what my sentiment, right? <sighs> I was like, I don't get it. And I don't understand mm-hmm. it. Was, you know, Romeo and Juliet was the only maybe the only Shakespearean play I had read, but this was like King Lear and all this other Henry the mm. and all this. And yeah. I was just like, oh my gosh. And so the first couple of, of weeks, maybe first two or three weeks in the class, uh, we would get these pop quizzes. I did the reading, but I was failing. I was not, mm. I was getting like five out of 10 on these quizzes and I couldn't, I just didn't get it. I didn't yeah. get it. I didn't understand it. But I knew about myself is that um, visual, I'm a visual person, visualization helps me. So what I did is um, I said to myself, I gotta figure this out. I met with my professor. He was just like, I don't know what to tell you. And I was like, all right, fine. Um, So I went to the library and at the, and this tells you how old I am. At the time they were VHS tapes. We had them too, you good. I still got them. Okay, do not feel old, okay? We are VHS children. I got the VHS tape of the of the of the plays that we were reading, mm-hmm. and I read along with watching. So mm-hmm. it was almost like reading the script in a way, yeah. as I was watching them act it out, and then it clicked, and then it started making sense. And when these pop quizzes were coming out, I was thinking of the scenes that I saw, mm-hmm. yeah. and then it helped me to reinterpret and to answer the questions correctly. And I ended up, I think, getting at least an A or at least a B plus in that class. Um, wow. But I, I shifted. I knew yeah. that I wasn't doing well and I had to figure out how to make this work. For yourself, Again, yeah. went to the professor, didn't get any help, right? I could have yes. stopped there and been like, this well, is it. I've done, I, this is it. But right. it's not up to the professor to necessarily help me. Yeah, it should. Doesn't always happen. Right, mm-hmm. life doesn't always work out that way. You got to figure out how to make it work for yourself. That's At true. the end of the day, I'm paying the bill. At the mm-hmm. end of the day, it's my education. At yes. the end of the day, it's my choice. 
Right. So I had to make the choice for myself to figure this out. And mm -hmm. I did. So that's what I try to do with any failure. I'll look at it and say, okay, all right, I did that wrong. I did that wrong. I have to make sure that I don't do it wrong again. Yeah. Yeah. I'm constantly thinking. I'm very critical on um, myself. Yes. But I'm also thinking if I said something that may have hurt someone's feelings or mm -hmm. if I said something that may have gone left. I'm I'm internalizing that too, and I'm thinking, okay, you know, next time I will try to be a little bit more discerning, a little bit more balanced in my interpretation. Um, I never want anyone to be hurt by what I say, but I will say, being in the field that we are in, we're all about go go go, right? And yes. time, and mm -hmm. sometimes always, as, as someone who's managing people, um, sometimes I don't always think about how someone's internalizing it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So I tell my team all the time, if there's something that I've done or said, come and talk to me, because I yeah. may not know. And one thing that doesn't happen enough in corporate culture, mm -hmm. we have these times, I'm sure you both know, where we do evaluations, right? Where your manager has to evaluate you on your performance. They're called performance reviews. Yes. Why isn't it ever that the employees reviewing the manager. Why doesn't that ever happen? And I never understood it. <laughs> it should be happening. So I say to my team, when we're in this performance reviews, I say to them, we're going to earmark some time where mm -hmm. I want you to evaluate me as your manager. Right. Tell me what I can do to be better. Otherwise, how am yes. I being better? Mm -hmm. Right, because it's like, are you being as supportive as you need to be? Are you, you know, taking the time to make everyone feel like they're being heard? Like, people that, don't think about right? that. They just think I'm, I'm the boss. I'm doing what I'm and doing. Every boss what I have had, I frankly can improve. We yeah. all can. Okay. Right? So, <laughs> yeah. I try to tell my team is there something I can do to be better for you? Is there something I can do to be more supportive? Is there yes. something? And then I, I try to internalize that and do better. Because if you're not progressing as an individual, you're staying stagnant. If you're staying stagnant, what happens with stagnant water? It starts to stink, mm -hmm. starts to rot, starts to smell. Mm -hmm. Who wants to be in that space? Mm -hmm. You have to keep moving. Yes. You have to keep moving. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta come on with these Oprah level gems that you were giving us. Yes. <laughs> All right. Um, real quick before we get to the next question, when you were talking about Shakespeare, it made me kind of think back to On a Different World uh, when Jada Pickett Smith's character was trying to learn Shakespeare and she literally had to like come up with her own way through hip hop right. to, to learn it. Yeah. I know for me, it was uh, for AP English, it was Spark Notes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was, yeah. literally yeah. had to break it down for me. And my so English teacher. Uh, we watched Macbeth, so I don't remember. Like, that movie was so dry. <laughs> I like, the way I could not get into it. it. Really and we like did a lot of character analysis. And yeah. my senior year in high school, senior or junior. Yeah. And I don't know how she got those types of videos that we watched, but they helped a lot. It was like interactive, like animated. Oh, okay. See, if I had that, I probably would have looked at the story a little differently. That's right. You All I saw was boring ass white people. Otherwise, yes, that's what yeah. you get. Yeah, Macbeth is very dramatic. I, I really it like is. Play, so. And you know, there's actually, I think AMC is coming out with the Anne Boleyn 
story. Now that story um, I love. And um, um, I am sorry, I'm blanking on the actress. She's a black actress who is in, who was in uh, Queen and Slim, Slim and I can't remember that movie. Um, I think I saw the trailer for what you're talking about. Yeah, I feel like so I saw they, that recently. They are reinterpreting it to make it more multicultural. Again, mm -hmm. this is just, you know, I think people are finally clicking with the idea that if you want to expose these you know, alleged forms of great writing and great art of old English yes. to, to a new audience, to a different audience, you've got to connect the tissues and people have got to see themselves yes. in some of these roles, um, you know? So it's just another way. I think I, I, I appreciate um, any art form that in, is more inclusive and yes. is just more diverse and reinterprets, you know, things to make it more um, about individual cultures. Yeah. Um, and and I, a lot of that comes from, um, I always tell folks that being black is not monolithic. We're not monolithic in thought, word, need. Um, being Caribbean American has a very, 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 very different interpretation of being from, you know, having your roots in the South. Mm -hmm. or having your roots in Midwest or having your roots right. in California. Um, there are a lot of things that, you know, I, I don't know how to play spades. Me neither. We don't <laughs> know how to play spades, honey. And right. you know, <laughs> all of our family is here. We don't know. It's just, it just, you can't always put that, that um, blanket over all yeah. of us. Right. Um, we're very, we can be very different. And, in, and some, sometimes being from different islands makes you even more different. So. Yeah. You know, you can needle it down um, at times, but there are certain things that, yes, we, you know, as just being black in America, you do understand what that's like. But um, if you really want to needle it down more and know more about people, you can't just say, you know, what is being black in America? You got to ask the, the real sort of nitty gritty questions and get a, a different, you'll get a different answer every time. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, what is something that you wish you knew at our stage in regards to journalism and leadership? Hmm. Huh. Something I wish I knew. Um, I will tell you. Uh, I think that younger folks are much more entrepreneurial. What you mm -hmm. ladies are doing now with your own platform um, and getting folks to speak to like-minded people is amazing. Um, you know, my sort of um, peer group, we're still in the mindset of corporate, 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 get your job, get that check, yes. you know, get that every two weeks type of situation. Mm -hmm. um, we're, we're getting it, we're, cause we're, you know, we're in that weird sort of space where we grew up in um, the analog, but we also kind of grew up in the digital. Yes. You know, so yeah. the Gen Xers of the world are very, we're, we're very different um, mm -hmm. in that regard because we can fly in both lanes yes. really well. And I think the thing that we are starting to do is to understand this entrepreneurial spirit more. Mm -hmm. um, I have had so many people tell me, you should start this, you should start that. And I'm like, yeah, but how am I going to pay those bills every, you know, every yes. month? And so <laughs> yeah. I think what you guys are doing is you're saying, you know, yes, the bills are there, but I'm going to do this anyway. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is something I wish that I knew um, when I was younger to to have developed those platforms 
earlier um, and develop my own and develop my own voice. And, you know, I got a little website here and there, but, you know, it's nothing to compare to what you all are doing. And, and mm-hmm. I think that that's, that's the difference. That's the difference between sort of my lane and what the younger folks are doing is that you guys are taking your lead. You're not saying, well, you know, we don't have a corporate sponsor. We don't have this. We don't have that. You're saying we're going to do this. We'll get mm-hmm. it along the way. Yes. And that is what I think is amazing. Thank you so much for that. Yes. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So you served as diversity chair on Skidmore's alumni, well, Skidmore College's alumni association. Yeah. Can you explain how this role went for you and what changes you wanted to see in this position? Yes. Um, So one of the things going to Skidmore that I never saw when my four years there was a lot of alumni who passed the people who I knew um, personally, um, alumni from 10 years before I got there or 20 years before I got there, never really saw them, alumni of color, let me make that clear. Mm-hmm. Black alumni, alumni of color, never really saw them come back. Um, never saw them on campus, never had outreach, mm-hmm. You know, didn't know what their experience was like, quite frankly. And so when I was um, invited to join the board, one of the things that I wanted to do was not only be a voice for alumni of color, but um, be a presence for the students who are currently there who are then gonna become alumni themselves. So they could then see that this is what we should be doing, right? Mm -hmm. One of the things that, you know, part of the requirement is to come up to campus for board meetings um, I think we did it two or th- three times a year, but I made an effort. We would have some downtime and I made an effort to either tweet out or say to, you know, the, the administration, you know, if you have a few students who are around, I'm going to be in the, in the student center and I'm just going to sit in the student center and whoever wants to come by and say hi, they come by and say hi. Yeah. You know, I wanted to just be there as a presence so that people would know that yes, there's one, there's successful life after this college. I think that a lot of people get scared after college. And I know I was, I didn't have a job. I didn't know what I was gonna do. I didn't know where I was going. Um, and, and I wanted people to know that there's possibility, there's successful yeah. possibility, but also that, you know, why I'm here. I'm here because I wanna know what's going on. I wanna know right. what you guys are feeling and what you're experiencing. I wanna make sure that the things that we experienced and felt aren't still there 10 years later, 15 years later, uh, that there's some progress being made. Now Mm -hmm. for being a voice for alumni, um, one of the things that alumni kept telling me is that they just didn't feel like Skimmer was doing enough outreach to them. They didn't feel like there was any connective tissue. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that meant, okay, well, what events can we do? to bring people back into the fold? What events can we do to get people to start talking again? What events can we do to make sure that people knew that Skidmo was gonna be there for them as alumni? And not just a, a place for fundraising or a place for you know, asking, asking all the time. We're also a support system and here's what we're, we're giving back to alumni. And so yeah. that was my mission in the time that I was there. Um, since I've left, Skidmore has not only reevaluated their um, mission statement and their their scholastic mission to include now there's a African American minor um, that's being uh, developed 
there are an additional, maybe I think there's an African-American two or three more professors as well who've been brought in. Um, it's become a part of the um, systemic change. They, mm. they, I think that they hear, they know that diversity is no longer an option. It's a requirement, yeah. you know? And, and so um, I think that, that, that the, the school in itself has adapted to that. There are a lot more work that can be done, absolutely. There's always more work that can be done. But the experience that the students are having now, there, even though they still confront their own issues and problems with race, class, yes. uh, gender, I think that it's different. I hope that it's better. Mm. Um, and I that I was a part of making it better. That's all I ever wanted. I always said if I help one student, one alumni, then I felt like I've done my job. I yeah. can't be asked more than that. But if I did more, great. But my job was to be, hopefully help at least one person feel like, yeah, this is a, the institution that I, I, I got a lot out of. That's why I did it. Yeah. I, I, I had issues at Skidmore too. I had a really bad situation happen where somebody scrawled something on my door um, mm. that I will never forget um, because I was the head resident at the time, right? And being in charge um, does that. You, you do yeah. have you know, that sometimes. But I didn't let that experience um, dissuade me from knowing that I got my, I got so much out of that institution. I got some great and important relationships. I got my sense of self. I got my sense of leadership. I've got my um, development of my creative spirit, my ability to critically think, yes. um, my exploration of thought and mind and wonder. Um, mm -hmm. I got so much from Skidmore. And so I just wanted to give back in a way that I thought was foundational and could hopefully help somebody else feel the same. Yeah, that's incredible. Mm -hmm. It's crazy how it always happens once you leave your institution that all the good things come. <laughs> I know we're experiencing yeah, that right the now. food is so much better now. <laughs> so many times when we went to you know the dining hall and got cereal for dinner. Oh. Um, now they have like a whole garden that they you know, organic this and I'm like oh, garden. Homegrown <laughs> vegetables and I'm like okay we got that can okay oh, whatever. Wow, yeah, they always <laughs> do that once you leave. <laughs> Absolutely. It's also interesting because I feel like um, something I've seen a lot more recently is uh, folks talking about college not really being as important. Like they feel yeah. like you can get your education outside yeah. of there. But I don't think people realize how much it helps us to develop our sense That's of self. Right. And, and right. you know, like you said, critically critical thinking skills. That so is, important. Yes, it is super so important. important in so many different industries. And, that's those are the things. Those are the important things that you got out of college. Yeah. People always want to focus on the money that's you know being spent, yeah. but it really is an experience that I feel like it helps you become a more well-rounded individual. So. Absolutely. And is college for everyone? No, it's not. Right. It's not for everyone, right? Yeah. With yeah. certain people who will be better at technical schools or just going straight into whatever industry. Yeah. But I do feel that. Um, particularly for our black and brown people, that it gives you, I always say to folks, I got those four letters after my name and nobody can take that away from me. So at the end of the day, when I go into certain spaces, mm. um, 
they're, they're important. They're yeah. important because it, it allows the stakeholders to perk up and think, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> oh. Um, yeah, like I, I remember encountering, I had an intern at Essence um, and she said to me, um, the, the president of my college is in town. Can he come by? He wants to see where I'm working and blah, blah, blah. But sure. He came by, he wanted to meet me. Um, and, and I said, sure, absolutely. I spoke to him and he said, well, where did you go to, to college? And I said, oh, I went to Skidmore. And he was like, oh my God, that's an amazing school. How did you get there? Ew. <laughs> ah. <laughs> wow. Now, he didn't think that that was some sort of microaggressive way of speaking. Right. Right. And I could have um, taken that and, and done many things with it. But I said to him, um, I applied like everybody else, except I'm the one who got in. Period. That part. Yes. Okay. That's Ooh. simple. You know, but again, that we as black people have to always navigate and um again when they're said to us typically in this day and age not said with malicious mindset but said with a a uncultured um ignorance yes absolutely has to be changed mm-hmm. has to be changed because uh, you know nine times out of ten I will say that some of these folks are not saying it from a racist, you know, um, I'm going to, you know, kind of get you. Yeah. Of, they literally <laughs> just don't know. I know. Mm-hmm. They just don't know. They're yeah. such ignorant because they either have never experienced Black people in certain ways or multifaceted Black people, or, you know, they, they just are uncultured. Mm-hmm. Um and so it's is it us up to us to up up to us to constantly teach? No, I wish it wasn't. Right. I really wish it wasn't. Um, but in these moments, we have to make a choice. Do we go off, or do we hopefully ensure that the next person doesn't have to have that said to them? Exactly. Yep. Handle it in a classy way. Kill them with the kindness. That's it. And That's give them a little education in there That's as well. Right. That's <laughs> right. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> So I read that you interviewed Dr. Maya Angelou. Yes. Wow. Yes, I did. <laughs> well, I'm, of course you learned stuff. But like <laughs> the thing, well, is there a specific thing that you learned in that moment that you still carry with you? Oh, gosh. That was a, an amazing, amazing situation. Um, she, I went to her home. Uh, she had, used to have a brownstone in Harlem. And we were doing a photo essay with her for Essence. And so part of what I did is I um, just extrapolated a bunch of different photos from her past. And we sat down and I went through the photos with her and I said, tell me about this moment. Mm. And that's what the story was. Um, So there's a photo of her, oh gosh, it's from maybe early 50s, where she was a Calypso dancer. And she's in this sort of like, I don't know, traditional African, sort of feathery top at bikini, mind you, right? Yes. Feathery top and bottom. And she's in this sort of stance like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, she was a very tall woman. So mm-hmm. she's thin and tall and beautiful. And I sat down with her and said, tell me about that moment. Um, and just going through the imagery and going through the pictures, one thing I will say is that 
She was in her maybe mid-80s at the time. Um, she was wearing an oxygen mask to, uh, you know, and she was unsteady, um, mm. but the mind, sharp. super sharp, super mm. sharp, super, she knew exactly. I showed her black and white photos. She knew the colors she was wearing at the time. Oh, and um, she just went through each with such fervor and um, description and just, um, specificity and uh, she just knew exactly the moment and it was um, the thing that I think I would take away the most from that encounter is at the end we the photographer um, producer myself were there and we all took a, her assistant took a photo of us and I think I think I had crouched down next to her Mm. And she said to me, Miss Wilson, never kneel for anyone. Mm. Never kneel for anyone. Stand up strong, stand up tall. Ooh. I was like, oh, yes, I'll stand to it. Writing me a very lovely note that I still have framed um, of thanks because she appreciated the the story that we did in essence um, with her signature on it. So that's a prize possession. Um, just an incredible, you know, just knowing her story. Um, there's an, one of the things I remember very well, and this is this is the day before like cell phones had phones that really were that cameras that worked really well. So oh really gosh, <laughs> she had in her in her brownstone, she had a. Um, gilded cage with a bird that was in mm. it. Old cage, and the bird wasn't real. Just, it, it was an art, it was art. And I don't know if someone gave yeah. it to her or who had it made, but it, of course, you know, you look at it, you're like, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. yes, <laughs> the cage bird. Oh, oh my so, goodness, that's, that's a beautiful story. Art in the house, gorgeous pieces in the house. Um, very warm home. She used to entertain a lot. Um, and she was, yeah, in the heart of Harlem, just right in Strivers Row. This is beautiful brownstone. Mm. Oh my goodness. Oh, that yeah. is incredible. Okay. So we've come to our last question. Okay. Thank you. You've been wonderful this entire time. Oh, you're welcome. Do you have any pieces of advice for aspiring journalists? Mm -hmm. Um, let's see, it's pieces of advice. Um, find someone whose work you really admire mm. and study them. Outside of your own development, study what they do, study how they do it, study their own trajectory. Um, if you can, reach out to them. Uh, just let them know you're a fan from the side. You want nothing more. Um, find somebody whose career you really do um, want to emulate. Um, do it, do it your own way, yes, right. But who's been successful? Who you can say, yeah, I really do like the, their style. I really like the way of writing. I really love the way they interpret things. Um, there was a writer who I worked with at Essence, who I just admire. So much 
uh, Janine Amber. She's mm. an incredible writer. The way she develops the story, the tone, it makes you feel like you close your eyes and you're there. Mm. Um, so I will always, always, always give her credence as being one of the best journalists I've ever worked with. Um, um, Charles Blow is a columnist for the New York Times mm. whose work I admire so much um, because he just is able to, he's an opinion writer, but again, based in fact and always, always tells the story the way it should be told with the passion and an energy that is unmatched. Um, you know, there are just so many people who I've encountered and who I've worked with or who I haven't encountered and worked with. Um, April Ryan is someone who mm -hmm. I remember I reached out to April when I was first trying to develop um, our stakehold at Essence with the White House. Mm. And April, um, who has been a White House correspondent for years, um, I reached out to her just for some advice and she was so kind to offer it to me. Mm. And um, to this day and age, I will always be grateful to her for just taking the 10 minutes. She yeah. have to. Just right. taking the 10 minutes to talk to me about what this thing is, what it means, how you should navigate it, who you should talk to, that sort of thing. We don't do that enough. Yeah. We don't do that yeah. enough. We're always thinking, oh, well, this person's going out for my job. Mm -hmm. I can't talk to her. This person's, right. you know, he's got a promotion. Why should I talk to him about that? There's space We're for all of us. There's space for all of us. Quite frankly, if you're good, there's yeah. space for all of us. Of it's, that, it's that um, internalized, um, I guess, devil on our shoulder that tells us that we have to be toxic. We have to be one up one each, each other, we have to be um, the loudest voice in the room, we have to be um, maniacal and evil, and I've worked with some of those people, trust me. Mm. Uh, but I, I, I have also, on the other side, there are people who have been kind, there are people who have been supportive, there are people mm. who have taken the time out. And that's why I say, if anybody approaches me and says, I want 10 minutes, I want 15 minutes, I wanna talk to you about X, Y, Z, I don't have a, a, a place in my heart to say no, because yeah. I had people do that for me. I have people who still do that for me. Mm -hmm. So to me, I think the best piece of advice is to find that person who you admire um, and study them, but also understand that you will eventually be the person who is admired. Mm. And there's a responsibility in that. There's an image in my head always of the one hand in front and the one hand behind. Mm. Mm -hmm. We must always conduct ourselves in this way. Yes. Because I can't be where I'm at if there wasn't someone pulling me from the front and mm. I can't help you all if I don't pull you from the back. That's the way it has to be for us. We don't have trust funds traditionally. We don't have you know, legacy, traditionally. We don't have people who, my godmother is the head of producer, da, 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 da. We don't mm -hmm. always have that. Right. So we have to be front and back for each other. And if yes. we don't do that, then we won't get any place. It's yes. the people for me who drop and drop. Mm -hmm. Those are the people mm -hmm. I don't respect. Those yeah. are the people who I don't rock with. Mm -hmm. um, those are the people who I can't, quite frankly, see myself working with. Um, it's the folks who really do think ahead and who aren't so 
um, manipulative where they feel like, oh, it's just about me. It's never yeah. about you. It's never about you. Mm-hmm. It has to be about the audience. It has to be about the brand. It has to be about bigger than you. Otherwise, yeah. you you will fall into that trap. So mm-hmm. the piece of advice I can tell people is think about your future. Think about who you want to help along the way. Whether it's even if it's just people on your same level, you can be a sounding board for each other. You can yeah. build a community for each other. Um, and then identify the people who you want, who you think will help you. I've, I've identified people who I thought, one in particular, and a former editor-in-chief of a major or, uh, organization. I went to an event because I loved this brand so much. And I thought if I could just meet her, she would, you know, maybe. And so I remember going to the event I stayed afterwards, I stood online to speak to her. I spoke to her and I said, you know, we have some mutual friends in, in common and I would love if we could, you know, if I could just m- maybe call you and talk to you for 10, 15 minutes about what I'm doing and maybe what I could do better. And she said to me, I said, if we could do, I just remember, I said, if we could do a coffee. Mm. Um, she said to me, I don't do coffee. Hmm. Never forgot it. She was like, maybe we could do a tea or something. I don't know. Maybe we could do a tea. And then she moved on to the next person. And I was like, okay, okay, I got you. I got mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. So it's not always going to be successful, right? Yeah. Um, but I never forgot it. And so I never want to do that to someone else. Um, I always say that I've, I've had so many different bosses. I have had a lot of different managers. Some of them have been fantastic. Some of them not so fantastic. But I learned from everybody. Mm-hmm. I learned what to do, and I learned what not to do, yes. because I've had it done to me. Mm-hmm. You know, and when you've been mistreated, you don't want to mistreat somebody else in the same realm. So yes. that is my biggest takeaway: be kind to one another, be supportive of one another. This thing is hard enough as it is. This journalism, this media lane, it's super competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, you got a lot of people who think they know what they're doing. And you have a lot of people and not that many jobs, right? Mm, so yeah. it's a lot of scraping and scrapping to get to the one spot. Mm. Um, but what you want to do is never, never, never lose your integrity. Mm. Never lose your integrity. If you lose your integrity, then what is the point? Mm. At the end of the day, never lose your integrity and be kind. Be kind to one another. Um, the only time I will say that I am not kind is when you 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 do something unkind to me. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm not. A then I gotta get you together. Yes. <laughs> Do it once. I rarely give people second chances. That's the thing. I rarely get people second chances to 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 do something unkind to me again. Yes. Um, so you know, go into it with with eyes wide open, but start from a place of kindness, and then allow people to tell them who you are. That's incredible. Thank you so, 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 so much for welcome. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Amazing. I love this conversation. We learned so much. Um, so can you just let the people know where they can find you on social media? Um, my my unverified, I've been trying to get verified for years on Twitter. Um, it's so disrespectful. Yeah, um, it's L Wilson underscore on Twitter. Um, you can find me there. You can find me on IG. I don't really do much on IG, but if you want to find me on IG, it's Wendy News. 
um, at IG. Um, but really the most part, I'm on Twitter. You can definitely reach out if anybody has questions. That's the best way to find me. It's Wendy L. Wilson underscore on Twitter. So, um, and then just come to BET.com. Um, you know, we are doing our best to give the most um, interesting pieces of content from video to articles to everything in between. Um, we have a commitment to this community. We mm -hmm. have a commitment to um, making sure that we are purveyors of information, both entertainment, music, um, human interest, political style, lifestyle. We do it all. And yes. I don't think people always realize that you can get all of that at BET.com, but we do it all. We do the best that we can. Um, and we are always striving to be better. But yes. I think that we are doing an excellent job. We've got a really great team. And um, I really just try to make sure that the content is solid at the end of the day. Um, and that we are doing, uh, you know, things that people want to see. Uh, right now, we've got the Soul Train Awards that we're planning for. Yes. Coming through, which will be <laughs> um, so we hope people watch. We hope people engage with the content. We've done a lot of hard work to plan for it. Um, and then next year, we are planning for some major big things. So just keep watching. Keep, keep, keep coming back. <laughs> yes. I'm excited. Awesome. I am too. Yes. Love you some oh. Yes. Good. Thank you for tuning in. We will be back Monday until then. So be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Yes, Black Girl. That's Y-A-S-B-L-A-C-K-G-I-R-L. And follow us on Instagram at Yes, Black Girl Series. And follow Kiera and I at The Only Raya and Unique Genre on Instagram as well. Okay. <laughs> All right. That's it for today. Bye. Bye. <laughs>